We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, El Monte. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, El Monte. Activists monitoring the conflict in Syria said Thursday that the number of Christians kidnapped by ISIS terrorists in their most recent offensive has risen to at least 220. The Britain-based Syrian Observatory for Human Rights said that the militant group has captured Assyrian Christians from 11 villages near the town of Tal Tamar and Hasaka province. The province, which borders Turkey and Iraq, has become the latest battleground in the fight against the ISIS in Syria. It is predominantly Kurdish, but also has populations of Arabs and predominantly Christian Assyrians and Armenians. ISIS began abducting the Assyrians on Monday when militants attacked a cluster of villages along the Kabur River, sending thousands of people fleeing to safer areas. The Syriac National Council, a Syrian Christian group, told Reuters that hundreds of Christians have fled to the province, two main cities, al Hasaka and al Kamishi, which are held by the Kurds. Yunin Talia, a senior official with the Assyrian Democratic Organization, said ISIS has raided 33 Assyrian villages, picking up as many as 300 people along the way. It was not possible to reconcile the numbers, and the fate of the hostages remained unclear. ISIS has not claimed any of the abductions. State-run news agency, SANA, and an Assyrian activist group, the Assyrian Network for Human Rights in Syria, said the group had been moved to ISIS-controlled city of Shadada, a predominantly Arab town south of the city of Hasika. The observatory, however, said they were still being held in nearby Mount Adulaziz. The mass abduction added to fears among religious minorities in both Syria and Iraq who have been repeatedly targeted by ISIS. The extremists have declared a self-styled caliphate in the regions of both countries that are under their control, killing members of religious minorities, driving others from their home, enslaving women, and destroying houses of worship. The UN Security Council on Wednesday evening strongly condemned the abduction and demanded the immediate release of others abducted by the Islamic State and similar groups. The White House condemned the attack, saying the international community is united in its resolve to end ISIS depravity using another acronym uh, for the group. Uh, they use the uh, acronym ISIL. And so I just wanted to read that to you guys. Um, I know we have a lot to pray for. You know, we have a lot to pray for regarding the situation over there that, of course, our Lord would intervene, that the Lord would protect our brothers and sisters that are Christians. Um, but we have to pray for our government. We have to pray and, and maybe even push, maybe even pressure, maybe even write letters as the Lord would lead you uh, for, for them to uh, really see what's going on, that it's not just, uh, you know, some, they, they call them a JV team. Uh, they're not a JV team. They're, they're determined. Uh, they're equipped. Uh, they're, they're rich. They're well-funded. And their agenda is a religious agenda targeted against uh, Christians and Jews and the Muslims who don't see things their way. And so, um, you know, you won't, you won't be able to win unless you know who you are and unless you know who your enemy is. You have to know both. And right now, uh, our government doesn't understand the enemy. 
And so pray, uh, pray for these Christians. I, I wanted to have you guys all stand together and, and hold hands and kneel. And there's just something in my heart that, that just, uh, I pray that your life wouldn't just be going on the same way that it's been going on. I pray that uh, we would really see uh, that we have to get involved. We can't just live our own life because, um, you know, not just for the fact that, you know, uh, it's killing people and, and they're crucifying Christians. I mean, you name it. But, just, but also because of the fact that it will continue to spread uh, unless uh, something happens. And so, you know, just uh, a lot of things going on. I, I really pray that something in your life is different as a result of this. And, and the primary thing I'm thinking right now is number one, prayer. And number two, um, action. Lord, what do, we, what do we do now, you know? Um, what can we do to um, maybe push our government to not just, uh, you know, say, oh, we don't like what they did, you know, but to really uh, go in there somehow, some way, and protect uh, the innocent people. And so, um, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to First Chronicles 28. Maybe the Lord will lay down your hearts to, to, to start prayer meetings and, and really, really keep this in prayer. But tonight we're in First Chronicles 28, and Lord willing, we'll finish the book. Maybe not. But what it is, is uh, David is about to die, and he's giving uh, final instructions to uh, the people as well as to his son Solomon. Now, someone you know, today might look at this and say, well, why are we studying this, Manny? Why are we studying this passage? And, and the answer is pretty simple. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That's what the Bible says. From Genesis to Revelation, we know, of course, that when Jesus was on earth, you know, when Paul wrote that, they had clearly, you know, Genesis to Malachi. But then Jesus established the New Testament, so we have Matthew to Revelation. And so we need to know the whole Bible. And that's why when you come to Calvary Chapel, you're going to find that, you know, the pastor should be teaching through the Bible Sundays during the week. When you go to your 50-plus uh, uh, study on Saturday, you guys are going to go, right? All of you who are 50-plus, I'm almost there. Uh, there's going to be a Bible study that through the Bible. When you go to the youth study, they're teaching through the Bible. You go to the young adults, they're teaching through the Bible. You go to the women, they're teaching the Bible. The men, they're teaching the Bible. We're encouraging you to read your Bible all your life because it's the full counsel of God that we need. Otherwise, what ends up happening is we become weird and we'll major on the minors. We need the full counsel of God. The best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And so here we are, and we're like, well, okay, we're going to learn about, you know, David writing to, uh, speaking to Solomon, and speaking to the leaders, and, and what does it have to do with me? And, and, I, and I think you're going to see a lot of principles here. Um, you know, we're not building a temple physically, so to speak, but we are building. Uh, in one sense, you're even building up your own life. Uh, the, uh, Jude, he says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. In one sense, you're building up your spouse, and prayerfully you're not tearing them down. We're building up our kids. We're building up a local congregation here. We're building. Jesus is using people because he said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And so, 
you know, there is principles here, there are building principles here, and anytime you study the Bible, man, let me tell you, it could be in the book of Leviticus, and you're like, I don't get it, but all you have to do is study the significance of those things, or maybe the Psalms, or maybe Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, it doesn't matter, the Lord will teach us if we're willing to be taught, and I think that it's profitable, because um, tonight we're going to see David, a really cool story of what he does and what he says before he passes on. Look what you read here, and we pick it up in verse 11 in First Chronicles 28. It says, And then David gave his son Solomon the plans for the vestibule, its houses, its treasuries, its upper chambers, its inner chambers, and the place of the mercy seat. If you remember, David wanted to build the temple himself. God said, no, you're a man of blood, but your son Solomon will build the temple. And so David did, man, everything he could other than build it himself. He got all the gold we're going to see later, the silver. He organized even the structure in the Levitical priesthood. He got the workers. He even got the blueprints. I mean, he actually got the blueprints we're going to see from God. And, uh, and what he does is he gives this, it says right there in verse uh, 11, then David gave his son Solomon the plans. It's cool. You know, the vestibule. This is how you're going to do the porch. That's the entry room or the, the foyer, so to speak. Uh, the inner chambers right here is probably in reference to the most holy place in the tabernacle, what later would be called the inner sanctuary. You can read that in Second Chronicles 5, 7 and, and 5, 9. You know, all these places, man, they were given to David in detail, who would then give them to Solomon. Look at verse 12, and the plans for all that he had, notice, by the Spirit, of the courts of the house of the Lord, of all the chambers all around, of the treasuries of the house of God, and of the treasuries for all the dedicated things. And, um... I think we have a, a picture of Solomon's temple, if you guys want to uh, take a look at it. Or do we? Okay, um, the first uh, picture you see right there is kind of a, a broad view of it. From there you can kind of see the, uh, the laver where the priest would wash their feet, they would wash their hands before they would go in. And you also see the brazen altar where they would offer all the sacrifices there and the, the burnt offerings, and it, it's actually beautiful. And there you see Solomon's uh, temple. It, it wasn't real, real big, uh, but it was really, really expensive because of all the gold that was involved. Uh, let's move on to the next picture. Okay, and there you can see some of the levels uh, within the temple. Um, if you go to the very next one, I don't know if you guys can see it uh, that well from where you are. Maybe the TV show it better. But um, you'll see uh, multiple tables for the showbread. Uh, and this is interesting to me because when you study the tabernacle, it was a pattern given to Moses from God. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the temple was too. And so have you guys ever studied the tabernacle? How many of you have studied the tabernacle and know the symbolic meaning of it? If you haven't, I encourage you to get a DVD we have back there. It's a really cool DVD, and it shows you the significance of it. Just the symbol of it, symbolism of it is amazing. 
You know, so we acknowledge that regarding the tabernacle, it's clearly identified as being a pattern given to Moses from God. But I don't know if you ever knew that about the temple, that the temple was as well. And that's why when you get into the multiple tables and the multiple lampstands and the altar of incense, and we're going to see later, when you go into the most holy place, you'll see the Ark of the Covenant, and you see not only the two cherubim upon the lid, but you're going to see the two uh, cherub that are, that are literally uh, from wall to wall. That's how huge they are in the most holy place. And so it's cool when you look at it. It was beautiful, gold everywhere. And, uh, and what we find is that this is what David... Received. These are the plans that David received to give to his son Solomon in order to build this, we're going to see later, for the glory of God. Now again, look at verse 12. It says, And the plans for all that he had by the Spirit. Now, so apparently it was a temple not divine, designed by David. It was divine, designed by God. That somehow the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. There are some people who even say God wrote it and gave it to him, kind of like God did with the Ten Commandments. And we're not 100% sure on that. Um, we know David Jeremiah said this, David obtained these plans by the Spirit, the same way God gave Moses the plans for the tabernacle. And you can read that in Exodus chapters 25 through 30. Uh, one commentator says the same thing. It says the plans of the temple were directly revealed to David by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, even as those for the tabernacle that preceded it had been given to Moses. As a matter of fact, go down to verse um, 19. Look what it says. It says, All this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me all the works of these plans. And so verse 12 says that he had by the Spirit, these plans. Verse 19 says that David kind of understood it. Perhaps as he's writing, it's maybe possible that in one sense, the way that God moved the writers to write the Bible inspired them. 100% man, 100% God. That that's what was happening when David was uh, putting together the blueprints for the temple. And so if that's the case, I do encourage you to study the temple out study all the symbolism and you're going to get so blessed by that you know but in, in looking at that what we find is uh it, it makes me want to get a little closer in that sense uh and god can do this um i don't think that we can necessarily say that pilgrim's progress is the same but have you guys ever heard of that book pilgrim's progress H how many of you here have read that book Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you here are pilgrims? You're not progressing, huh? <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And the Lord can do this, man. The Lord can, can give us uh, words. The Lord can give us uh, messages. I'm not saying an inerrant book necessarily. But Paul the Apostle said, That which I received from the Lord I gave to you. We're called to be distributors, not manufacturers. And God gives us things. And it's cool when the Lord gives us things and we can give them to others. Uh, John Bunyan was a, a Christian Baptist, and what had happened was he wasn't licensed by the church to preach, but um, he preached anyways. And as a result of that, he spent 12 years in prison. But while he was in prison, he wrote that book, Pilgrim's Progress. And apparently there was something about this guy, John Bunyan, even before he was a Christian, he was real sensitive, like to the spirit, or sensitive, if I could say this, to the spirits. 
and he would see things that other people wouldn't see. When he got saved, he got sold out. It was so cool what God did with his life. But he started receiving visions. It was kind of like receiving visions from the Lord. And that's when he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And, uh, of course, we know it's not the Bible. And so whatever you do, don't uh, think that it's authoritative uh, to the equivalence of the Bible. But I will say this, that uh, second to the Bible, it's the best-selling book. And it's been translated in more languages than any book except the Bible. And so God can do things like this. God can give you uh, divine plans. Maybe some of you here, one day you're going to design your own house. Wouldn't that be cool? Build from the ground up. Say, Lord, show me. <laughs> I sure would like, you know, a nice whatever, and then God will give you the details on that. But that's what happened with, uh, with this temple. We read in verse 13, it says, Also for the divisions of the priests and the Levites, for all the work of the service of the house of the Lord, and for all the articles of service in the house of the Lord, I mean, David gave all this. He gave all this to Solomon. He gave him the architectural plans. I'm pretty sure he pulled the permits. I mean, he pretty much did everything, right? He gave Solomon the structure uh, for the servants of the temple and even for their service in the temple. God revealed all this to David, who would then pass the baton on to Solomon and others, right? I look at verse 14, he gave gold by weight for things of gold, uh, for all the articles used in every kind of service. Also silver for all articles of silver by weight for all articles used in every kind of service. The weights of the lampstands of gold and their lamps of gold by weight for each lampstand and its lamps for the lampstands of silver by weight for the lampstands and its lamps according to the use of each lampstand. I mean, David, we're going to see later, he gave literally hundreds of tons of gold and silver and iron and wood. It's just a, a great heart that he had in order to build this temple. And I, and I want to encourage you guys to have the same heart, you know, to build, you know, your temple. And by that, I'm not talking physical. I'm talking about this this place where the Holy Spirit dwells and this congregation, which 1 Corinthians 3 says is a temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6 says that the individual is a temple of God, but this is a temple of God and we're building. And we're going to see that as we cooperate with the Lord, it's so cool how he takes care of all the details. And uh, when you have that heart to give, you, know, you don't just come to church service necessarily and say, okay, well, I'm going to check it out and see you know, what I can get. Let's see what they have to offer. No, let's see what you have to offer. As we all have that heart, God's going to do a good work here, right? And he, and he has been. It's so beautiful to see. Uh, look at verse 16. And by weight he gave gold for the tables of the showbread for each table and silver for the tables of silver. Now, do you guys remember the tabernacle? How many tables were in the tabernacle? There was just one right? But in Solomon's temple, there were 10. And so we see God doing a work in one sense, and I know this isn't the kind of the, necessarily the way you would see it uh, in, in a literal sense, but in one sense, uh, this was growing. It would not just be Israel. Israel was growing, and then the, the nations of the world would come uh, to this temple. 
And so we read in verse 17, also pure gold for the forks, the basins, the pitchers of pure gold, and the golden bowls. He gave gold by weight for every bowl and for the silver bowls. Silver by weight for every bowl and refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot. That is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Just out of curiosity, how many of you here have silver uh, utensils at home that you guys use? Not that many. We are poor, huh? <laughs> Can you imagine having gold? Have any of you here have gold? Forks or knives or gold-plated? Maybe they have a little stripe on it or something? <laughs> imagine that, you know, having gold forks and gold plates, uh, gold pitchers, gold cups. I mean, I have styrofoam. It's just funny, man, <laughs> right? You know, um, you know, I mean, I, maybe silver, but, but imagine having gold. And, and David here, it, it's just so cool to see how the Lord said, this is what I want. And we're going to see later, he, it emphasizes that fact even more, just how he gave to the Lord. Just gave to the Lord with all of his heart, you know. And God would do a work uh, through that heart of giving. You know, as a side note, uh, about 400 years later, uh, maybe you're familiar with the story in Daniel chapter 5, when uh, um, we read uh, about the Babylonians, because we know they would conquer the southern kingdom of Judah, and they would carry all these things away to Babylon. You guys remember that? And then you read in Daniel 5, it says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, they drank from them. And they drank wine and they praised the God of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. And, and you know, they're having this party, you know, with all oh, the gold cups and the gold utensils from Israel, which is the, you know, the living God, the real God. They thought they could party. They, they, they thought they could do whatever they want with it. It was, it was, was kind of like the final straw. You know, so what ended up happening was, uh, there, and then there appeared the hand. You guys remember this? A hand that started writing on the wall. Mene, Mene, Tekel, Upharsin. They didn't understand what it meant, but we know that the king's uh, grandson, he was shaking in his, man, his knees were knocking. That's what the Bible says. He was... He was just, he got sobered up real quick, right? And then uh, they, the, they, they said, well, Daniel can interpret it. And then Daniel came and he said, you know, you guys are, are so wrong. You know, you should know by now. You should know better. Why would you do such an ugly thing? Why? You know better. What happened? That would have happened. God had sent that message and he said, you know, you've been weighed in the balance and you've been found wanting. And so God says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And all the, the wonderful privileges that, you know, in one sense, what had been given to them by God, you know, people can forfeit. 
And so I'll just throw this out there to you guys, just as a, not as a, a not to condemn you, not to freak you out, but as a, a loving word of warning. You know, thank God for His grace. He forgives us of our sins. You know, I thank God that He is long-suffering and patient with us. But if you're here today and you're like, I don't care, eyes wide open, you're going to continue in your obstinacy and rebellion then let me tell you something. God will deal with you. So we don't want to go into sin with eyes wide open. We don't want to be that type of person. That's where, you know, Belshazzar was. I pray that we would have a healthy fear of God. You know, thank God for His grace and His forgiveness. But, you know, I always tell people, we use it, but we don't abuse it. God's a holy God. And if there's anything in your life that's not right, Surrender it to the Lord. Surrender 100% to the Lord, right? Because these are, these are vessels that were supposed to be, you know, set apart for the Lord. And if I could say it this way, I hope you guys know that, that you're a vessel that's supposed to be set apart to the Lord. You are. I mean, it's no longer spoons and forks and knives and all that kind of stuff. It's people, you're sanctified. You're set apart for the Lord. And they sh you should not be used for any other God, so to speak. And so back in, in First Chronicles in verse 18, they had refined gold by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot, that is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the ark of the covenant of the Lord. You know, and we read about the refined gold right here for the altar of incense. And you guys know what the altar of incense was, right? That would go in there and uh, they would offer the incense and then the, the aroma would rise. And that was symbolic of prayer. And when you read Revelation chapter 8, that's what it says. It says the incense, it goes and it rises before the Lord. And, and he hears our prayers. Um, one thing about prayer that I will say just blows me away is that we can all be praying and God hears us as if we were the only one praying. That's an awesome God. That's the God that we serve. And when we offer that incense and it rises into his nostrils, and Revelation chapter 8 is kind of cool because then all of a sudden like lightnings and earthquakes were then uh, taking place on planet Earth because God hears your prayers and, and you know, things happen. I, I mean, I thank God for little Eric and praying for him. And uh, we got to continue to pray that the Lord will be with him and, you know, the family. You know, uh, this is one of those times, like we're talking about this thing going on over there in ISIS and, and Syria and Libya and Iraq. And just think about these people that are not only the ones that have been killed, but the ones that have been disheveled and thrust out of their home and they're fleeing and they're still afraid i mean we got to pray for them we got to pray for eric thank god that you know they found a a, a a match but it's still there's still a lot to pray for because you know that i don't know how the little aaron is but he's got to go through that and now eric has to go through that and mom and dad are going through that and we got to let our prayers rise as incense before god on their behalf and then God will, God will hear our cries. You know, the, the, I could understand the refined gold for the altar of incense. To me, prayer is so important 
But, but I don't know. Look what it says right here. It says, And refine gold, verse 8, by weight for the altar of incense and for the construction of the chariot. And you're like, what's up with that? God has a chariot in the temple? And the answer is yes and no. Uh, you guys know what a chariot is, right? A chariot was the old version of a modern-day tank. I mean, it was where, in one sense, you know, you, you fought, you, you rode, you traveled uh, for that purpose. And what we believe that this is symbolic of, because it explains it in verse 18, that is the gold cherubim that spread their wings and overshadowed the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. You see, what the, that the chariot is, is, uh, is the cherub, and it's kind of cool because here where you, here's where you put the Bible passages together. In 2 Samuel 22, verse 11, it says, He, the Lord, rode upon a cherub and flew, and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. Uh, we see the same thing in Psalm 18.10. So the Lord flew. He traveled kind of like from heaven to earth on the wings of a cherub. Now, I, I know it might sound, I don't know how you feel about that, um, but imagine what, you know, life was like before airplanes were invented. You know, uh, you, the different modes of transportation. You could walk, right? You could run for a little bit. You know, maybe you get on a horse, uh, a donkey. Um, but imagine when, when you could fly. And in one sense, that was the Old Testament version of, of air travel. And, and there you have someone, and you read the Bible, and it's so cool. Um, as a matter of fact, go over to 2 Samuel 22. In verse 1, this is the context. It says, Then David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord had delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David was on the run for 10 years. Man, imagine what it must have been like living in caves. Um, he knew he was supposed to be king, but man, it just wasn't looking like it was actually going to happen. But then the day comes and everything comes to pass. And it's like the Lord has defeated all my enemies. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I think more along the lines of the day that I die or the day that I get raptured. I think more along those lines. When I look back, and I'm going to be blown away about how the Lord defeated all my enemies. He says right here in verse 2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, the God of my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior. You saved me from violence. And here it is, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. You know what I do when people start coming against me? I don't go to them. I pray. I start, I just start praying, crying out to God. Say, Lord, you be my defense. Lord, you be my strong tower. Lord, you protect this church. 
from anyone or anything that would come against us. See, that's what we're supposed to do. We cry out to the Lord. In verse 5, when the waves of death surrounded me, the floods of ungodliness made me afraid, the sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. Here it is again. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and, and cried out to my God, and he heard my voice from his temple, and my cry entered his ears. And then, watch what happens. Then the earth shook and trembled. The foundations of heaven quaked and, and were shaken because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down with darkness under his feet. He rode, here it is, he rode upon a cherub and flew. And he was seen upon the wings of the wind. And what, and what we find in, in the Bible, there's a couple of times where it talks about the Lord flying on the wings of a cherub, is that he came to rescue us. And so now, now we're looking at the symbolism of the, the tabernacle, and then we look at the symbolism of the temple. And the temple has that addition that there's two huge cherubs there in the most holy place their wings touch each other and then the other wings touch the walls and God is saying there's another message I want to tell you that if you cry out to me I will come to you swiftly riding on the wings of a cherub and the reason I can do that is because it's in the context of this covenant and this cross and the Lord Jesus Christ who has made a way for us to pray to God and for him, for God, to come to us. And so it's just so cool. You can look at all these things and you can camp out on them. Um, this cherub that's a chariot, right? Look at verse 19. It says, And all this, David, the Lord, all this, said David, the Lord made me understand in writing by his hand upon me, all the works of these plans. Now, the, the, the thing about that's kind of cool is not only did God give it to him to write, but he also, God gave him understanding. Because one of the things you'll find is when they're writing the Bible, they didn't always understand it. <laughs> Daniel's like, I don't know what this means, but I'm writing it for you guys, right? David's here and he understands it. And isn't it cool when the Lord gives you understanding? The Lord will give it to you. In verse 20, um, this is such a huge verse. This is epic. You guys ready? It says, And David said to his son Solomon, Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And so we're building the temple. It could be personal. It could be congregational. You know, you're building things up. David's building the temple. Uh, at least he's, you know, working towards Solomon to build it. And, and I love what he says right here. Um, how are we going to finish, Lord? How can we do this? He tells him right there to, to be strong and of good courage. Uh, those combination, that combination is found 11 times in the Bible be strong and of good courage. 
the phrase be strong is found 30 times in the Bible. It's a frequent command. Uh, as a matter of fact, the account in 1 Kings of this, it says almost the same thing. Uh, in 1 Kings 2.2, David said to Solomon, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. Now, I like that one. I don't know about you, but, you know, I like that. You know, David's about to die. He says, I'm about to die, son. Listen to me. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. You know, in one sense, being a male uh, doesn't necessarily prove you're a man. You're working hard. You're providing for your family. I mean, being a male doesn't make you a man. I think there's more to it. Being a man has to do with growing up, and especially with growing up spiritually. You know, we need spiritual strength to be a man, and we need spiritual proof that we are a man. You know, when you look at those words that Solomon heard from David's lips, be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man, I would venture to say that these would be the words any father would speak to his son. Any God-fearing man would speak to any younger man to whom he was passing the baton. And you would speak it, you know, wholeheartedly and if necessary, repeatedly. Be strong and prove yourself a man. You know, I know that we can say that repeatedly. I know Moses did to Joshua seven times. Seven times in the Bible, he said, be strong, right? I mean, when you read the scriptures, and you can find it in so many places, uh, the words of the prophet Azariah, when he spoke to Asa, they're similar in Second Chronicles 15, 7. I like what it says. It says, but you be strong, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Isaiah 35, 4, another favorite. It says, say to those who are fearful-hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And that was when God saved his people from the Assyrians. You know, we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament a few times as well. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, it says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Right? Ephesians 6.10 uh, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then in 2 Timothy 2.1, it says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, and you know, I tell you guys this all the time. God has gifts. God has callings. God has a mission I believe in many ways it starts for those of us who are married, you know, as a husband or a wife, a parent. It starts in the home. And then it goes on to other places where God has given us gifts and callings and roles and, and responsibilities. And the devil will do everything he can to just, you know, put you on the shelf where you're no longer where you should be. You're no longer going to be used the way that God would have used you. And so I think this is so helpful for us. No, we want to be like, like Jesus when he died on the cross. He said, it's finished. 
We want to be like Paul who said when he was about to die, my life is being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. But the only way that's going to happen is if we take heed of the words that we're reading right here. Be strong and of good courage. Why? Because fear, a lot of times, is what gets in the way for so many of us, right? Fear will keep you from ever starting what God's called you to do. And both fear and weakness can keep you from finishing what God's called you to do. And so we need to conquer both fear and weakness. And when I say weakness, I mean, I say this, don't do it in your own strength. Make sure that you are filled with the power and person of the Holy Spirit. Make sure you're there in a place where God has you in a humble way and says, there's somebody that I can use. Because otherwise, we won't be strong. Otherwise, we're going to be afraid. You know, it's interesting. Look what he says right here. Be strong and of good courage and do it. Do not fear nor be dismayed. The word dismayed, it has a lot to do with negativity. You see, God's people should never be negative toward God or the things of God. In one sense, we should never be pessimists toward God or the people that God loves. You know, whenever, and I, and I know uh, this is something that God has just put in my heart, whenever I see someone and, and maybe they're struggling and they could be like in the worst sin that, that's conceivable, there are some people who will see a, a situation like that and they'll say, well, they'll never change. And they have like no faith. They have no optimism. But I, I tend to be like on the other side. I mean, totally on the other side. And it says, Lord, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter how bad it is. God, you can change their life. Now, of course, I know they have a responsibility. But Lord, will you intervene and just really meddle with the middle? so that they would be reached. We can't be a people who are dismayed, a negative people, a pessimist people. No, God, God is able, right? We need to be strong, courageous. It says here, do it. <laughs> don't fear or fret. Why not? Davis tells us why we don't have to be afraid. It says right here, for the Lord God, my God, will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you, until you have finished all the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And that's why we don't have to be afraid, huh? We don't have to be afraid. You know, in a church, you know, being a, a, a soul, given so much grace uh, to be a pastor, you know, earlier when Henry was talking about how it's okay to have fun, I, I thought that is so true, it's okay to laugh. That's why God makes us ticklish right? I mean, there's no other reason. We've got, how many of you guys tortured your kids and you tickled them when they were younger? That was fun, huh? I mean, God is so cool, and he's, uh, he has a sense of humor, even that he would allow someone like me to be a pastor. You know, a lot of people will say, well, he shouldn't be a pastor. I agree with you. I agree with you, but, you know, God, God's, God's so gracious, but, you know, in seeing the, the, the situations that you see uh, as a pastor, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of things you could be afraid of. There's a lot of situations that they kind of have the potential to strike fear in your heart. 
whenever you get your eyes off the Lord. But as you get your eyes back on the Lord, and yeah, the winds and the waves and opposition and things are happening, you know, that's where your eyes belong. And He will strengthen you to walk on water. And He will give you the victory. Because the, the truth is, God really is with you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what we read right here in the scriptures. He will not forsake you. The, the word leave in the Hebrew, it means he won't drop you or let go of you or abandon you. Like God would never fumble, so to speak, you know. He would never drop you, let go of you or abandon you. The word forsake, it means he won't reject you. He won't even neglect you. The Hebrew word communicates that God will never leave us or leave us behind, or even leave us alone. Never. So we never need to be afraid. And that's what David's trying to tell Solomon. Man, I want you to do this work. And so Solomon, be strong and good courage. Because my God, God, he's with you, man. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Not until, he says right here, you finish the work for the service of the house of the Lord. And I believe that that's in reference to the fact that none of us, uh, we, as Christians, as we're abiding in Jesus Christ, you know, we're not going to die, so to speak, until we're done. Like Paul said, I'm done and now I'm going to die. <laughs> it's kind of like you're going to finish the work, right, that I've called you to do. And so we read in verse 21, it says, Here are the divisions of the priests and the Levites for all the service of the house of God, and every willing craftsman will be with you for all manner of workmanship, for every kind of service. Also the leaders and all the people will be completely at your command. And we saw this uh, last time when we studied uh, chapters 23 through 26. The organization that was necessary for uh, the temple to be run. And we have the same thing in churches, right? There has to be a certain structure and organization, right? And there we saw the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, Merari, the different responsibilities on different days, helping the priests in various ways, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and even the treasurers. And what he wanted, and I think in, in closing, we'll close with this, that there always has to be that organization, right? Some people are like, no, no organization, you know? There, there has to be. They're against it. But what does the Bible say? Let all things be done decently and in order, right? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40. So may God give us that balance, and, I, and I'll close with this. Let all things be done. Let all things be done everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do, everything that God wants to do, and every person that God wants to do it. I just, I get excited when I think about all the people that the Lord is bringing. Let all things be done, but let's make sure that they're done biblically. Let's make sure that they are rooted and grounded in the objective truth of God's word. Because when we can get to that place, Lord, I'm open to your spirit, but I'm also confined by your word, then we're going to be a healthy church. Amen?
Come on, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for loving us. Um, Father, I pray that you would just uh, help us, Lord, as a people to be strong. Lord, I do believe uh, that in one sense it's a choice that we would make to, to, to live our life in alignment with your word, to, to live our life, Lord, um, where we're not dependent on our own strength. Lord, so help us to be strong. Help us, Lord God, to be courageous. And so that, Lord, whatever it is that you called us to do uh, in this life, Lord, that we would be able to one day be able to say as we are ready to go on, or if you rapture us, Lord, even then, I don't know if we're going to have time to say it, but I finished the work that, that God gave me to do. Because I know, Lord, if we can say that, then we'll also be able to say, and I think we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, I just pray for your beautiful people that are here tonight. And Lord, uh, just in case, I don't know, Lord, but if there is anyone here today who may be struggling or, I don't know, the enemy's beating them up, God, encourage them. I pray that not only can we come to church and, and be taught, but that we can come to church service and, and be touched by the person and power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're here, we believe in you, and we need you, even as Christians. But Lord, I pray if there's anyone here tonight who doesn't know you and who's not a Christian, Lord, I pray that if they're honest with themselves and they know that they're not Christians. They don't know for sure if they're going to go to heaven when they die. God, I just pray that you would speak to them about your love, about your holiness. And I pray that right here, right now, Lord, they would be drawn by you. Because your word says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Your word says that we, Lord, can repent. And I just ask that you would do that work, Lord. If there's anyone here today that needs Christ, that today they would repent of their sins, turn from their sins, and receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because your word says... Uh, that we, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so if you're here today, just in case, I just want to give you that opportunity. And you don't know what would happen to you when you die. You don't know for sure if you're a Christian or, or you know for sure you're not. But let's just say you're here today and you want forgiveness and you want freedom and you want life and you want Jesus then what I'm going to ask you to do is just to say a prayer. And, and basically, it's a prayer of repentance and receiving Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. And so in your heart, just pray this prayer, something like this. Uh, Dear Lord, I come to you tonight, and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin, and I receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of my life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward in Jesus' name.
We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.